This is the Formation Lab. Welcome one, welcome all to the Traveling Roadshow that is the Formation Lab. I have about half the energy because this is our fourth attempt at trying to get this intro done, and I just give up at this point. Um, I wish I could tell you that I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Luke, but Luke, unfortunately, he, he, well, nearly, he does have COVID, and it does uh, sound like a more serious case of it, so... Uh, We appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers uh, going out to him uh, for a swift recovery. But uh, in the interest of uh, crazy schedules this week, our super producer Dylan is uh, here with me today to fill in for Luke. And I'm guessing he's about to tell you to take your pants or your shirt off. Listen, all right, wherever you're at, I don't care if you're at work, if you're at, well, if you're at daycare, maybe not. Uh, But if you're if you're somewhere where there's people around or you're by yourself, I need you to take your pants off, right? And also, I need you to bundle up, put a nice big jacket on. I want you to to go find a big old ham, smack that ham, cook it, eat that ham. It's going to be a great weekend, but you need to bundle up, all right? Because it's getting cold. And listen, here's a slight rant, all right? It's too cold. And I think, I think that areas that, like cities that are in cold climates, they, the, the federal government needs to stop funding them so that we can get people out of those areas because it's too damn cold. All right. We need people to get to warmer climates. That includes Luke. That includes Luke. That's, it's not a real that, city. It, it Anywhere, is why he's still sick. It's I can't take a cold. city seriously if it's that cold. It, it's not real. It doesn't exist. It's a fake city. Luke, you need to move to a real city. There's, that's my opinion. There, there we go. Well, uh, hi everyone. Dylan, we uh, we we have a bit of heavy lifting to do today um, because we didn't get to record um, a review of the Brazilian Grand Prix, uh, and we are just about to have the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, so this is about six days later. We do apologize again. Sickness and schedules, unfortunately, have forced us to do the show for everything right yeah we are double stacking this show and we will have a review for you a very light one uh about the abu dhabi grand prix sometime next week we promise um but for now let's go over the brazilian grand prix now going into the weekend we were heralding it as gonna as probably the last time we can have fun this season um because it is a circuit that is conducive to that but we didn't really expect how much fun Going into the weekend, I believe, Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong, but the forecast called for an inordinate amount of rain all days of the race weekend. Um, So practice and qualifying, uh, really the only time it came through was during qualifying. Um, Through the practices, it was actually very interesting because uh, we did have a team seemingly back on form with Mercedes actually filling up uh, the top spots again. So maybe they figured something out on their car. Did Did you know anything more about that, Dylan? No, I mean, it just seems like the team, like everyone on the team had a weight lifted off their shoulders. Like Toto seemed, or not, Toto this weekend seemed happy. Sam already blending things up. Um, but last weekend, everyone seemed kind of just flowy, you know, and, and it does seem like they have the car a little more under control where it can kind of handle the bumps a little bit more. So it's just more settled and they're getting a little bit more speed. But also, I mean, they were wicked fast last year at Brazil. So I don't know if it's just the track, but it does seem like they're trending upward pretty quick. They are trending upward pretty quick. Um, and that was 
uh, seen later on in the weekend. But <clears throat> in the interest of the sprint race format, and I apologize, not both practices, just the one practice, because then we had qualifying in the second practice session um, to set up for the sprint race on Saturday. Um, I do like the classic uh, format. I do like the sprint race format. It's just something that's a little bit different um, and could kind of shake up the order because Friday, it Friday gave us the most feel good, awesome story of the year. Um, and it's set up for what I feel is the strongest race weekend of the year. Yeah. And I'm not going to make any bones about it. This weekend gets an A plus from me, Brazil, as always shelled out the, the greatest drama. Um, but on Friday it rained, uh, specifically in the evening and it was, it was intermittent rain. It was in and out. And through Q1, we saw some interesting eliminations. Both Astons were out in Q1 um, and some other uh, cars were out as well. Um, the real trick was finding out whether you needed to go to the intermediate tire or stick with the soft tire. Um, now, there were some dry patches on the track and intermittent rain came here and there. They did have to red flag it a little bit um, to let the rain go through in Q2 uh, because it started to drive hard. But the consistent performers that you saw at the top of the uh, <clears throat> top of the leaderboards were uh, Lando Norris and his uh, McLaren Mercedes powered car. Um, you saw the Ferraris both doing OK, uh, some interesting choices, but not great. Um, and we'll get to that here in a second. But you also saw uh, the Red Bulls doing OK. Um, and then you also saw Kevin Magnuson. And I've gone back. I've watched the qualifying from his onboard. Um, he was there on merit. And it was pointed out by uh, Ted Kravitz that actually in the wet, the Haas is a very happy car. Um, when it can dry off and cool off its tire or its uh, brakes very, very well. Um, and it uh, will actually um, be very happy with the, with, with wet conditions. So KMAG was there on merit. It had happened again, happened before previously in uh, Canada. Um, but he was up there toward the leaderboard. And then going into Q3, what were we seeing? Chaos. Um, Ferrari strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. Breakthrough. I mean, it was a little bit of everything. So, I mean, uh, yeah, the Ferrari made the weird decision of they didn't put slicks on Leclerc. They didn't put uh, uh, softs on until was it too late, or did they not put them on so at all? In Q three, yeah, they all had to get out of the pit quickly because there was a whole lot of rain on the radar um, <clears throat> that was going to be coming through for at least an hour or so. So whatever the rain was coming, they they needed to get whatever they had done because the, the session wasn't going to last the whole time. So the interest of getting out fastest was the primary focus. The way the pit lane is set up, the last in the constructors champion is at the far, far end of the pit lane. So that's really terrible for a pit stop because you have to go run all the way down uh, the 10 garages of every other team. But then you also have to, you know, pray that no one else lets someone out in front of you and it, it's a really it's a tough thing the flip side of that is that if you need to get out fast you can so the first in line was kmag with sauce every other team who was in q3 picked sauce um except ferrari who put leclerc out on enters now 
he's sitting in the pit lane waiting for the green light and he says uh, is anybody else on injured nope to our knowledge you are the only one on intermediate tires mm. well done just fantastic um he goes an entire lap apparently it's not communicated to him until after he's well past the pit pit entry that they're going to leave him out or they're going to want to pull him in and put him on soft so he had a full hot lap on intermediate tires and uh, then came in uh, for his soft tires and didn't get to have a really great time afterward. Really, you had to get it on quick. So Kevin Magnuson actually put it on P1 right as George Russell, who was running P3 for Mercedes, beached his car. And it took him a second. So they red flagged the session to allow it to get out and they brought all the cars in. Uh, and that Leclerc, all he got was one out lap. I think I don't even think he got a, a hot lap on his soft tires, but K Mag had gotten a hot lap in. It did look pretty good, and he was on P one. And then the the rain came and it ended the whole thing. So we had Kevin Magnuson from Plucky Little Haas sitting on pole uh, for the weekend. So the pole sitter will always be Kevin Magnuson. Uh, in I thought the, that was the great. annals of history. I do think that's really great. You know, they say with the Indy 500 that a lot of times the track picks the winner. Like the there's like the whole superstition around it. It felt like the track picked the pole sitter. It, it <laughs> like, did feel had, like no, yeah. you know, he would he would have done well regardless. I th- and I think that, you know there, there's the joke everyone liked that for the meme joke, but I think everyone genuinely loved that. Yep, seeing how excited he was, seeing that electric feel in the Haas garage just to have a pole. Um, and you remember how hard these guys are, you know, fighting to get up to that level um, right. and how any bit of any crumb of success is a, goes a, an absolute country mile. And with um, that though, I kind of have a slight complaint with the sprint format. So I've never been one that complains about the sprint format because usually I am out of the loop on like which races are going to be a sprint format. And so like on Friday, like when Friday comes around, I'm like, oh, sweet, it's qualifying. Like to me, I get excited whenever it's a sprint format just because it's like, oh, extra on track action, more high stakes on track action. Right. But with with this situation, K-Mag, he was on pole. And so, you know, everyone knew that on race day, the track was going to be dry because by then we knew the forecast Sunday was going to be dry, right? And Saturday was going to be dry. So we knew he was going to lose some positions on Saturday and then again on Sunday. So that kind of increases the amount of on-track time that he has to fight and fall back. So had the sprint format not been a thing, you know, he would have had less time to fall down the order and ha- could have potentially had a better finish although qualifying would have been on friday and so he wouldn't have had pole regardless but you know that's just my only complaint of the sprint format i guess situations like this yeah that can be a bummer but um i don't mind the sprints though people get really upset about it i think anytime <laughs> there's change in f1 you have people that get upset just to get upset like no matter what they do so yeah yeah people are always going to say oh it's not traditional or you know things like that absolutely um but uh the sprint race came and went and mercedes had a one-two lockout with red bull following them uh k-mag did fall all the way to p8 um and uh but it didn't take away from the triumphant moment i really enjoyed it uh mick schumacher his teammate uh, it should be noted here for a story 
here in a little bit that he uh, didn't make it out of Q1. So Too conservative, which I think has been kind of his uh, his problem is that he's not he doesn't have that like extra bite. Like when, when it comes crunch time, like he doesn't have the ability to just turn it up and really push and get it done when it needs to be done. Like over the course of the race, he continues to get stronger and stronger and stronger, but like, he doesn't have that like edge that I think some drivers have. So like when you have these weird conditions and qualifying, that would have been his chance to go out, push hard, take a chance and get a good, qualifying position right but it just didn't happen no it didn't uh the news uh later on that uh, was actually released a couple of days ago at this point i believe as we speak it is saturday around noon uh central standard time in the united states um it came out around yesterday or maybe the evening before uh that mick schumacher has been replaced for the 2023 season with uh nico hulkenberg um are there other young drivers that deserve a chance, maybe. Um, but I think that the thinking at Haas with the move to Hulkenberg has been um, that they need a proven performer in the car that can push Kevin Magnuson. The young guys that are out there right now that are available and not, you know, in some loosey goosey, silly uh, contractual nonsense with 18 other teams like Oscar Piastri, who I believe is contracted to half the grid at this point in some weird fashion (laughs) um but they needed some and they're the other thing is they need time in the car to get it to to improve like mick did and the haas needs points now uh mick has only brought a total of 12 points to magnuson's what 20 25 um maybe more and so he's you know scoring half the points of his uh his teammate and it's just not a good look so they but and they can't afford it anymore they need that extra money they need stability they, they need stability and they could have gotten the p6 and the constructors and said they sit p8 and that's a 20 million euro difference right um so they absolutely need that money um, i think so for them it's a good Nico. move i mean like it sucks because i do really like mick and it seems weird for a team to bring in a honestly kind of a washed up guy, a very talented guy, but like his best years are behind him. He's never been the guy on a team, but I mean, he's just a solid anchor point that I think Haas needs to get through a race weekend with points, get through there clean without broken, broken cars and just keep trucking along, especially with, we're still in the early days of these regulations. So like, this can kind of set the stage for them going forward if they have stability and they start to bank points and and kind of regain some of the the spunk that they had a few years back whenever they were looking like a really good midfield team um i think they just they're not in a position right now to have a fast young guy that you know that they can build around they just need people to help develop the car get them points and and move on so they can help improve the team you know yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and that thinking is actually happening up and down the grid right now. Um, as and this is, I apologize, we're we're filling in a whole lot from the last week. But the strategy calls uh, through qualifying that you heard about, um, as well as some the in the race that we'll discuss here momentarily, have led uh, Ferrari to make a move um, to likely replace Mattia Bonato with Fred Vasseur from Alfa Romeo uh, Sauber right now. Um, well, they're denying it. 
they're denying it. They're denying it, but it's been released in the Italian press. And nine times out of ten, those guys are right. Um, you know, Ferrari is probably the you know the leakiest sieve of a team you can ever hear. There are you know loose lips sink ships, but they've been leaking for a while, uh, and they're still plucking along. So I do believe this is true. I don't see. And just as a, you know, as someone who has been in a management position, looking at the tools and the resources that you have, there's a consistent theme of disorganization, of lack of decisiveness, um, and clearly just making horrendous strategy calls that end up costing your team. Um, personally, I, I do feel that the Ferrari is the faster car this year. And it's not as much that Red Bull has gone out and lit the world on fire. It's a good car. Don't get me wrong. But it's that Ferrari lost. Um, yeah. Ferrari lost the plot on their on their uh, their strategy calls on you know the the way they're managing their drivers, the way they're managing everything. The lack um, of accountability. Yeah, and there's no accountability whatsoever. So they will be bringing in Fred Vesser, um, I believe, here momentarily. Um, but that is all to help clear the decks uh, because we have a team that had a scandal at the end of this uh, particular thing. So I'm trying to knock out all those teams so we can focus on that uh, here coming up soon. The race itself, Dylan, tell me what you thought about the opening stages. What did you think about the opening stint? Personally, the the big thing that I wanted to point it out point out was at the start, they get away down into turn one. And before turn one, Lewis does make some move that is clearly a rear gunner move, um, which I thought was just a phenomenal team play for him. But it also set him up nicely because he had <clears throat> he had Max Verstappen uh, behind him, I believe, and Sergio Perez uh, behind George. Or no, flip flop. So it was Max and George, or Sergio was behind Lewis, and Max was behind George he comes over so violently right that he breaks the toe of Sergio and he gets in the way of Max and Max has to break. And then they go into turn, uh, turn one and down into the complex. But tell, I thought that was a great move on Lewis's part. It didn't really work out great after that, but I'll let Dylan tell this. Cause I feel like I'm talking a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, it was great. It was cool because we got to see some of that spunk back in Lewis. Um, he was, fighting and was a little bit more aggressive and uh i think they know like where they're sitting at, in the standings and the season's coming to a close so um i think you can start to make more chances and kind of push the car feeling more comfortable in the car so they're able to push a little bit more but um yeah no the start of the race was incredible and chaotic and heartbreaking and uh yeah, I think the worst part was uh, in the first few corners when Ricardo spun K-Mag. And that really annoyed me and bummed me out because I like Ricardo a lot. I like K-Mag. I like Haas, not because I'm American and I have like a bias to it, but they're an underdog team that I, I like to root for an underdog, right? McLaren's an underdog team, although they're a lot higher on that standing than, than Haas. But um, yeah, that sucked. It was just kind of an aggressive move by Ricardo got into the back of uh, K-Mag, K-Mag spun it around and let off the brake so that the car could get off the track, which was a smart move. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Typically, they say lock it down whenever you're spinning, but whenever you get spun in that direction, you're in the middle of the track, 
and you're in the, the car, middle of the pack. Right. Yeah. Letting the car get off the track is the smart thing to do rather than to lock it down right in the middle of the track. Well, that was the direction that Ricardo went to the right and the car rolled off. They collided again. Both of them are knocked out. Um, and so that was devastating because there was so much hype around K Mag this weekend, you know, that they finally got that pole and things were looking good. And uh, for it to end like that was pretty devastating. So that brought out the safety car. And then, no, it was, was it the same corner, or a couple corners later that uh, the, the Ferrari incident, or was that after the safety car? That was after the safety car. Okay, yeah. So the safety car comes out. And then when it goes back green, we have a Ferrari incident. It was Lando that got into the back of Leclerc, right? Mm-hmm. And spins him. I think it was only a couple corners down from where uh, Ricardo spun K-Mag. But <laughs> I like the onboard shot. As Leclerc is spinning, he flips Lando off. Uh, Lando was obviously long gone, but still there's like a, a picture of him with his hand out of the halo uh, given the middle finger. So I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Like it broke Ferrari this weekend. Like Leclerc is such a reserved guy and for him to flip off Lando. And then just, he was kind of dismissive the whole weekend about Ferrari strategy and basically admitting how they bungled it again and again. And for the show, that kind of emotion, the, the uh, Mateo getting fired, like this whole weekend broke Ferrari. Um. It did break Ferrari, but there was a crash right before Finally. that. That was on lap seven, and there was a crash before that that was pretty consequential as well. Oh, gee, you know what? I'm. It's okay. No, you're doing great. Um, the the thing that happened. The per- I'm going uh, the Ferrari strategy with my storytelling. Okay, <laughs> it's all over the place. It's indecisive. It's not right. So yeah, I think you're doing great. Um, but before that came out, uh, they tried to resume uh, racing uh, and they pulled the safety car in. It was lap seven. Um, and Max and Lewis got into it uh, as as they do in sector one um, going into turn one. Uh, going to turn one, Max was making a dive. Lewis was still ahead. They then went into turn two. Max tried to make the overtake. Lewis was still ahead and he was trying to make the turn. So Max is on the inside at turn two. Lewis is outside ish, but he's clearly ahead and you can't go through there too wide. You just can't. Um, and, uh, well, Verstappen just punted into Lewis. I'm sorry. I know that there was a lot of debate about that being a racing incident, but in, in my experience with Max Verstappen or, and, just being a fan uh, of Max Verstappen, sorry, hiccup. It was, it's what I've seen is a reluctance to ever back out of anything. And there is no accountability when he doesn't. If that were any other driver, they would have gotten, uh, you know, a harsh penalty and it would have sucked. He did end up getting a five second time penalty, which I'm excited to see from the FIA because they've been so deferential toward him um, that honestly, I think they've created a bit of a monster. Um, and this is the first indicator that I will say that um, because there are several other incidents that incidences that we will talk about um, with it. But then, yeah, uh, then Leclerc was sent into the turn seven barriers by Lando. He did indeed flip him off, um, rightly so. Um, but 
both cars, Max and Lewis's cars, were able to uh, come back and finish. Lewis had some barge board uh, damage to him, I believe. And and the, let, what is with the the indestructible ring wings of the Mercedes? Have we seen one of them break yet? I mean, an end plate, yeah, but like even no, last the, year, whenever Max brake checked Lewis and just slammed into the back of him, the wing was okay. Those wings do not break. They, no, like, they don't. They're they're pretty great, right? They're like they're um, made of old Volvos, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're made of old Volvos. Um, they, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, I think that, 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 that lap was very consequential. Um, I think that a lot of these cars are playing loosey goosey with the rules. Um, and I think that we'll find out about that sooner rather than later, but I oh, cannot tell. wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Hang on. What, what do you mean by loosey goosey? I'm, I'm intrigued. You know how we were really focused on the the flexi wings and, you know, weight limits and all that. Mm -hmm. I feel like the wings are indestructible this year. And mm. I feel like some teams are doing something different. So um, they got lots of flexible bits and, and stuff in there, you're saying. So they're not rigid to where they snap. They can just get hit hard like putty. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I know that, it, you know, they always bring a different um you know wing set for the for the uh you know the different different race weekends for different requirements i know they put different weight in them um but i'm curious to know more about that i don't know i i, I don't think i have uh anything more to say about it but interesting yeah um and then uh that was pretty much it to the end now it became an interesting strat as far as incidents are concerned i believe um but uh the whole thing the the reason this uh race erupted was later on in the race and team orders started getting barked out the first set of team orders that i heard and we haven't had to have a whole lot of those this year um was between uh alpine esteban ocon and fernando alonso Fernando was on a different tire strategy, so he had the faster set of tires. They were a whole lot younger. I believe they were softs, and Esteban was on uh, mediums, and he was trying to chase Sebastian Vettel. Um, as they're coming out of the, the safety car uh, time, he is told, uh, and that was for a, wait, let me see here. I can't remember what that uh, particular safety car was for. Was it a full safety car? I thought it was. Oh, it was a uh, Lando. No, Lando's, Lando's car died. Lando's car went kaboom. Yeah, sorry, Lando's car died, and yeah, it was a full safety car um, because they couldn't get it out without a tractor. Um, even though he pit, he parked it right next to an exit. But hey, and they heard your complaints. <laughs> The they did hear complaints. my complaints. I, I like I, Tim's I gonna get it. mad. We can't. We, yeah, we Tim's gonna just... get pissed at us. Um, Lando Norris also hats off to him. He worked through uh, food poisoning. Uh, so imagine driving a racing car having you know food poisoning. Could you imagine that? Oh, that'd be awful. That you know what that that kind of uh, harkens back to an episode you and I did a while back about weird NASCAR finishes, right? Yeah. And I told the story about the time that Tony Stewart pooped his pants uh, and mm -hmm. won a race because he had, I think it was the flu. I don't think it was food poisoning, but um, yeah, he pooped his pants. And then instead of going to victory lane, he to his, his trailer instead. So yeah, that, that would be brutal, but at least he didn't 
Lando. <laughs> yeah, at least he didn't do that. And I'm I know to uh, derail this. You've also heard uh, you've heard Mark Weber barf in his his helmet while he's you know trying to talk to the yeah. pit, pit wall as well. So that's gross. Um, but yeah, but he did get there. Uh, but as the safety car was restarting or leaving, as the race itself was restarting, we got an interesting uh, set, and Ocon was actually a bit petulant uh with the pit wall saying oh i you know he he was told not to fight alonzo alonzo's on a faster strategy let him through they don't want to be messing about because they are fighting for constructor championship points right now and he said uh I, you know I'm, i don't need to do that I'm, I'm racing vettel he he was a bit petulant in his reply and i don't think it went very well afterward uh after the race alonzo said you know uh, i heard it yeah Thank God it's only we're we're coming up on the final race. You know, it's almost over. And that apparently hurt Ocon's feelings. But you have to realize Alonzo in it is in his burn bridge phase with Alpine. He's trying to nuke everything. There is no returning until he wants to. And then all of a sudden they'll be his best friends again. Um, that's kind of how it goes with old Fernando. Uh, but I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, the second set of team orders was actually from Mercedes. Um, George called to the pit wall and said, you know, are we, you know, racing or are we bringing this home one, two? I thought that the tone in his voice was, are we racing or are you going to, you know, let me have this? Because, right. you know, we're this is the smart, the smart thing to do would be to let me have this. I thought it was very clever on George's part. But he said, no, you're racing. Be respectful. And that was it. It's just like, oh, okay. Lewis never really mounted a charge that amounted to anything. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting call to George Russell to let him know you're still not the one number one, buddy. You've been doing well this right. year, but Lewis is still Lewis, uh, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. But also, I think that the, as Mercedes knows that they can kind of take the gloves off a little bit whenever you're dealing with Lewis, because Lewis is a surgeon on the track, especially with a teammate, right? So you can say, yeah, you guys are racing, but you have the confidence to know that Lewis is not going to push anything and do something dumb, especially yeah. racing his teammate, because Lewis, I think is more than anything devoted to Mercedes, right? He wants to see a Mercedes one too. So I think you can say, yeah, have at it, but you know that Lewis isn't going to do, isn't going to push it to where you're at risk. Right. So I think it's a safe call for them to even do that. Yeah. And it's also that, you know, Hey, George, it's okay. Like you're, yeah. it's Lewis here. You're, you're not the number one driver and, and he kind of still is. So um, I thought that was interesting, but the big one of the time, and we're, we're skipping over a whole lot, like where people finished and you know, what teams did, but I'm, we're just going to follow the drama. We're getting today into the party the, zone, baby. The, the T is the place to be um, right now. Uh, it came to team orders when they were trying to catch up to Alonzo in the Red Bull. Red Bull is where the dominant amount of drama came from this week. And it continued into yesterday, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but what happened was uh, they were trying to, in the closing stages of the race, that Red Bull really needed to track down Fernando Alonso and see if they could overtake him. Max had more pace and he was behind Sergio. So... I thought it was interesting because this is a very common thing to swap drivers and swap them back. It harkens back to Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas 
when Lewis couldn't get by. I can't remember who it was. I think it was in Canada. Um, but he he clutched. He he hit the brakes hard and he let Valtteri back through to give him the place back. Uh, I thought that that was a beautiful moment of integrity from Lewis. Uh, but he's like, you know, hey, he's in a fight too. He he was nice enough to let me by, so I'm going to give it back to him because I couldn't do anything with it. That's what teammates do. This is a very right. common thing. Um, and going into the last couple laps, they let Max go by, and uh, Sergio didn't fight him a bit, let him through. Uh, Sergio is currently in a dogfight for P2 in the Drivers' Championship. Uh, Red Bull has never actually had a one-two finish in the drivers' championship to go with uh, their their constructors' championship. So that is something they definitely want. They want to absolutely annihilate the competition this year. Um, he is currently he was tied, or he he was pretty close. He's currently going into this weekend tied evenly with points at 290 uh, each for uh, him and Charles Leclerc with Ferrari. Ferrari would obviously like to hang on to P2 because they have the faster car. It's just they've bungled it a lot this year. Um, and this would be the perfect time to capitalize on points because Leclerc's out. So you got to go for it. And coming into the last lap, it, several messages were sent to Max Verstappen, especially. And if you go back and you ride with Max, you can hear the radio calls. It's at the beginning of the lap, middle of the lap, and the end of the lap, and then after the lap. So there are four separate times where it's like, okay, we haven't made the move on Verstappen. Please let Sergio back through. Max, let Sergio through. Um, you know, last corner, you know, turn 12. Please let Max, please let Checo through. And then he, he finishes and he says, Max, what happened? And Max, Max, let me actually, I'm going to pull this up. I want to get this absolutely correct. And, um, you know, Max could have had, if he wanted to make an excuse, he could have had a perfect excuse of, because he was still hunting down Alonzo, right? Like he was on Alonzo's tail. He wasn't in passing position, right? He would have needed another straight, but like, you know, he could have used the excuse of getting target fixation and like, you know, zoning in so much or trying to get to Alonzo that he just didn't hear the radio, right? You know, you get so hyper-focused on one thing and whatever, you could make that excuse, but it, it clearly he didn't give a shit because there was yep. no excuse. Correct. He didn't. Over the radio, he said, I told you already last time, don't ask that again to me. Are we clear about that? I gave my reasons and I stand by it. With the, with the pit wall and Sergio, uh, Perez said, thank you for that, guys. Thank you. Like, appreciate, you know, being, you know, stuck out here. Uh, team uh, boss Christian Horner piped over to Checo and said, I'm sorry about that, Checo. And Checo just cut him off and said, it shows who he really is. So just so that everyone is perfectly clear, we watched it play out in real time. We watched a very petulant Max Verstappen tell his team, no, I'm not going to give this place back to Checo. I've made, I, he said, I gave my reasons. And I stand by it. Um, after the race, uh, Max was asked, and, it, and the thing that really sucks is that, yeah, it does show who he is. He is He's locked it up on points. He doesn't have to do this. He didn't have to take that position and those points away from Sergio. And yet, he did. Uh, Red Bull didn't benefit. Red Bull's already locked up the Constructors' Championship. Uh, no one else benefited except, you know, but Checo lost. 
So it's a it's a crap thing to do to your teammate who let's not be unclear on at least seven different occasions. Checo has fought like an absolute animal to deliver Max to the championship in Abu Dhabi last year. He held Lewis up for at least four laps defending like a lion and Max Verstappen came through. He even complimented Checo. He said Checo's an animal. He's an absolute legend. He absolutely is. He's done that a bunch. He's taken away points uh, for fastest lap from Max from Lewis Hamilton last year on two separate occasions. He went in, he ditched his own race. He and he came back out on the fastest tires possible to steal the extra point away so that Max could keep succeeding. So it, it does show who he really is. And we weren't unclear about that in the post-race press conferences. And uh, I'll ask you to filibuster here for a second. I'll, uh, pull up the exact quote so i'm not misquoting anyone yeah but also to kind of go on top of what you said with perez defending lewis i mean that gave him enough time to where lewis couldn't get a free pit stop whenever that safety car came out so if i'm not mistaken that was kind of the difference is that perez defended long enough for that to happen so i mean he's been a a picture perfect number two driver teammate. Like he's fast uh, most weekends. I mean, some weekends he struggles, but he's fast enough to where he can kind of play rear gunner. He he's devoted to the team. Right. And if you're, if you're max, even if you have something against him, it's more than just him. Like there's people that work on his car, right? The, all the guys back on the shop that are on his, you know, it's the same team, but like, you know, each car is, it's its own team, right? There's people that work on those cars. It goes all the way back to those guys. So whenever you're being selfish like that, it's not just you being selfish to Checo. It's you being selfish to Checo and everybody that works on that car and is stationed to that car, right? Works on that car that that sets it up and everything. It's way more than just you. I think I think this incident was one of the more egregious things that Max has done simply because it's it's not just about Checo. It really impacts the entire team. And it was just a really, really shitty move to make. It was. And, but it gets worse because it came out in the post race interview that this is really kind of just payback uh, in Max's mind. He said, uh, I have my reasons for that. We discussed that. And I think it was better that we finally sat together and spoke about it and just moved forward from there. From there. Oh, this was well after the race. I'm sorry. This isn't right there. If you go to F1 TV Pro and you look for the interview of Max immediately after the race, he says, you know, they knew why I would do this. We have discussed this before, um, you know, and I've already told them and I stand by my reasons. The interviewer very uh, interestingly said, you know, is this about Monaco? Max grins and says, I'll let you speculate. Max is not very good with the press. No. If you're, he is not a well-tuned politician. Unfortunately, you know, Dylan and I living in the United States are what, used to watching our politicians kind of play like this. They play coy or they play the victim right up until you're doing what you, what they want you to do. And then all of a sudden they play coy with you and they're like, oh, oh no, don't do, don't let it be like that. Mm-hmm. It's very childish. It's very unrefined and it's easy to see through. We've been watching it for years, at least the last decade. Um, 
And Max was coy. He was he was very clearly intimating that whatever happened in Monaco is the reason for why he did what he did today. He believes that in qualifying in Q3, the final run, that going out of uh, the going into the tunnel section, that last turn, he believes that Sergio crashed on purpose to prevent him from a last flying lap because Sergio was actually on pole at that point. Oh, um, not quite crashed. That would have been a bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a spin and a going into the wall. So it did minimal damage to Sergio's car. If you look at the telemetry, it's hard to argue with him because on every other lap, there is nothing to indicate that Sergio would punch the acceleration that hard that would indeed spin the back end out. And going to the last section, Sergio does hit the gas pretty doggone hard and sends it into the wall ish, but it's not like totally damaged. We've also seen that at Monaco at people being accused of of you know punting on their last laps to ruin everybody else's flying laps a few years ago with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, um, where before the casino section, uh, Nico bailed out and it red flagged the whole session because now there's a parked car. Um, and Lewis said over the radio, that's good of him. That's very good of him. And he knew what he did. And uh, talking to actually to Carlos Sainz Jr. after the race, he said, yeah, this actually happens a lot. Um, and no one can really accuse you of it because it's all so high end and it's such high performance that you can't really prove it. But, you mm-hmm. know, um, the FIA actually since has decided to open an investigation uh, looking at all the telemetry to see if Sergio did indeed punt it into the wall and do it for himself. And it allowed him the best chance to win. Monaco, it's impossible to overtake. So he knew that if he had pole position, he was winning that race. Now, here's my take from Red Bull's position and what should have been the take from Max's position. Who gives a shit? You've won. You have submitted the most dominant run in a championship year ever. You have 14 wins on the trot. You Well, not on the trot, but you, you have 14 wins. No one else has ever done that. You have completely dominated in a car that was built, purpose-built for you. You have you have a teammate who has fought ad, like an absolute animal, and all he wanted was a single win. You really have to go this far and then pay him back by stealing a point from him in Brazil before the end of the season? What is wrong with you? And also, I think the, the worst part is that it... it impacts more than just him right like it wasn't just to sergio finish if it's not for the win or if it's not for a podium it doesn't really matter if it's you know one position or another like he's not going to look back on his career and think about that right but the fact that it's a vital amount of points this late in the season when he is in a close battle like that it impacts so much more than just him. Like if you would have done something that impacted him from getting on the podium or getting a win or something that would like impact that would make him really feel it. But this it's impacting honestly, the team just as much as him, right? Like the team wants to be on a, it want, the team wants to be one too, right? Mm-hmm. Sergio obviously wants to be two as well. He doesn't want to finish third, but like it, you picked the moment that had the biggest impact on the team as a whole, right? That's the problem. He did. And it was honestly, it, I just see it as petty. Um, you know, it's juvenile and, and it, you know, obviously gets worse, uh, you know, cause that's how this story goes. It just keeps getting doggone worse um, because going through the, 
um, week, you you read that uh, Sergio Perez had expressed. He said, "After everything I've done for him, that hurts." Uh, and yep. you knew that the Red Bull PR machine wasn't going to be happy because the online reaction wasn't great. Um, you know, the knives were pretty well out for Max, and Max's family didn't do anything to help that. Max's mom, in a since-deleted uh, Instagram post, uh, accused Checo Perez of being unfaithful to his own wife um, and took pot shots because that's what the Verstappen family does. They release press uh, releases through their son's stuff. They're very cheeky. They're very crummy to people. And then they cry victim, which is what they did because Red Bull released a statement yesterday saying in the first, there was actually a two-paragraph statement in the first part of the paragraph um, they said that we apologize to Max. It's our fault that Max didn't give the place back to Sergio because we had uh, felt we had not talked about it before the race. Yeah, I'm sorry. You don't need to talk about that kind of thing before the race. Why are you doing this? Um, and then they go on to say that, uh, you know, he was only told at the last turn that he needed to give the place back to Sergio. Sorry. Nope. I watched the whole thing myself. He was told the entire lap. He had a couple minutes to do it, and it was very easy to do. He did not even he didn't even attempt. This was a petulant thing. They were trying to rewrite history. For those of you yep. who are curious, um, they uh, are actually doing what is traditionally called gaslighting, uh, and they're trying to tell you that don't believe what you saw with your eyes. Believe us. That's kind of that's great. That's fun. Uh, the second part of it was going out against bullying. Uh, the family of Max Verstappen, how they've received threats and so forth. And the title of the article uh, that I was actually looking at for this um, was Max is so outraged and and so hurt that people attacked his family. He says it's enough. He's hate. He's had enough of it. Max goes to I've had enough all the time, like a, like a spoiled brat would. I'm sick of it. This is enough. This is too much. This blah, blah, blah. He is so high strung that I do believe from everything we heard before uh, with Max and going into uh, Hamilton, how he's never really been penalized by the FIA. Clearly with this, he's never been penalized or disciplined with the team uh, at Red Bull. I think they've created a genuine monster. And to be honest, or to be clear, we're not saying that um, – the family didn't have a valid claim. Like it, you should never attack the family of the driver, right? Like Kelly PK should not be receiving threats because of what happened with Max on the track, right? We're not advocating for that. It, it, it should never happen, right? The driver should never get threats because of what happens on the track. Like it's never okay to threaten anybody. It like sports are important, but they're not that important, right? Like it, criticisms are one thing and attacking the family is one thing, but also you know, like if you're Max's mom and you kind of open the door of insulting Checo, right? Like so not, a, not just that, but like, that's a deep, that that's a deep accusation, right? Like, yeah. so you are in a way kind of putting yourself out there. You're putting your, your name into the fight right now. If she had never said anything, right. And the people were just attacking her. Yeah. Also like death threats that, that should never like, Crash talk is one thing. Death threat should never be something that you escalate it to. But um, yeah, it's just strange that she threw her hat into the ring. And really the family kind of did in a way. Kelly didn't. I don't think Kelly's ever mentioned anything about any of that. But like 
I mean, if I were yeah. Kelly, I'd want to get as far away from my brother as I could. It's just, yeah, that, that yeah. it's a chaotic lifestyle, kind of a chaotic family, but um, yeah, yeah. But Max, uh, Max did help his teammate uh, get to uh, P two for the starting uh, grid tomorrow. So we'll see. Apparently, they're one big happy family again. After qualifying, they looked okay. They yeah, they they look okay. I think it's a. I think it's a thing of okay, Max, you made your point. Um, get in line. And and hopefully because he seemed like he was the the team boss on the radio, you know. Oh yeah, but Uh, also he won't be. He won't get in line. He'll be he'll be the same, Max. You're an adult, right? People can throw out the oh, he's still young, but like at that age, you're an adult, right? Like he he's been doing this for the you grow up fast in the sport and you need to learn how to talk it out. Like if you, if you have had that building up for that long, you got to talk it out with like that can't boil over onto the track with your teammate. Like, no, you're an adult. yeah, you have to talk about it like an adult. And Max has been in this for seven or eight years. Like it, he's not, he's not a stranger to these things. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm just disappointed. The other thing that Red Bull did that has me worried is they confirmed their new reserve driver for 2023. Uh, one, Daniel Ricardo. Um, that's what Helmut Marco said. That's what Daniel Ricardo has been saying. Uh, Christian Horner did say today in a uh, post-qualifying press conference that uh, they still need him to sign the document, and he's being kind of cheeky about that, I guess, with the Renault departure from before. But my big fear is that now now that this has happened Sergio's not going to be as willing to do the rear gunner thing and they will slot Daniel Ricardo straight back into that car as a that is a stick for Sergio and they are using it to protect Max I mean if you're Red Bull who would you rather have Checo 150% Yeah well I mean I guess it he's reliable he's not as emotional as Daniel um he you know he does his job i mean did he did is it possible that he cheated to steal a win yeah but good for him they're in a, right. the most dominant car out there why not yeah that's not something you can really hold against him i think it, it, it's all gamesmanship and f1 and you know whatever people like schumacher did that at monaco right like he, he schumacher had his own moment at monaco in qualifying to uh get the pole um yeah, I don't know. Like, but also ironically, Ricardo left Red Bull because he didn't want to be the number two guy, and he's coming back as the number three. So I guess mission accomplished, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta I, gotta risk it for the biscuit. But I kind of think that we this weekend we're gonna see the last race, the last F one race of Daniel Ricardo, Mick Schumacher, and Vettel all in one. I don't yeah, think there are a lot of names not uh, not rejoining us next year, and yeah, I I don't think we see Sebastian Vettel again unless it's in a man- management role. Oh, and I do there. think he would do very well at that. Um, I don't think we see Mick Schumacher again under any circumstances. No, um, I think he's going to end up in IndyCar. To be honest, I think he'd be a great fit in IndyCar. I think Daniel Ricardo would too, but he's not going to listen to it. No, no, I think some some F one drivers, and I get it. They they're too high and proud stuck um, up yeah and but it just sucks because indycar is a great showcase of driver talent right like you can slot into an indycar and if you are a damn talented driver like you'll 
rise to the top pretty well. Like the, the way the car is designed, it allows talented drivers to showcase that talent quite quickly. So, um, and it's not a stick against the talent pool in F or in uh, IndyCar. It's just talented drivers do well. So I wish we would see, I know we'll never see Vettel, right? Because I think he is environmentally conscious and I don't think he wants to be on the traveling circus of racing anymore. I think he's done with racing, but maybe in some kind of like management or FIA role. But um, Mick, I think would be a, a good candidate for IndyCar because it would allow him to showcase his abilities and maybe try to work his way back to F1 in some capacity. I don't know. Be cool. And, but I mean, the merchandising opportunities alone would be too lucrative to pass up. Imagine if a Schumacher was driving for an Andretti. That'd be crazy, huh? That'd be that'd be pretty wild. I'd like that a lot, but we shall see a uh, pretty wild week in formula one. It's probably the only exciting weekend that we'll ever see uh, this year. Well, that we will see out of F1 uh, this year was last weekend. This weekend, I would anticipate another processional race um, because unfortunately that's Abu Dhabi and there really are no stakes this year. Um, but other than that, we'll see. Um, that has been our review of the Brazilian Grand Prix and all the fallout from it. Um, and then next week we will bring you everything with Abu Dhabi. Put your pants back on, stay Please, bundled up. Luke, move to a real city, move somewhere warm, somewhere that you can go outside in a t-shirt, somewhere where the moose, he, he the does moose population doesn't get into your trash. He does go out in t-shirts. Ah, that's true. But also he's, he's, he's trash himself. <laughs> that, that boy ain't right. And tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Luke's rebuttal. <laughs> it will be, I'm guessing, biblical. I can't wait. Until next time, see ya. See ya.